It's Bad Ink Jam, but not as we know it. Hello, cuz this is Big. Welcome back and shut up. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BuckyBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 162, just one last heist for old time's sake. It is 13 minutes past four on the 10th of September 2020. Coming up in this evening's Bashcast, we look at the new tools that we're using for the strategies and the edges of advantage play late on in 2020. A look back at the Champions League final, the edges and angles that were available and the lack of profit that was made, and a discussion about the horse racing tracker that is coming to fruition at Bucky Bashing. After the break, we look at a critical analysis of the largest hand in online poker history. All of that and more coming up in this evening's Bashcast. So there's change at the beginning of the Bashcast after 161 episodes. I've replaced my friend's daughter with my own daughter. She couldn't talk at the time that Imogen said, this is big. And my daughter can speak now. Can she ever? Does she not shut up? So, sorry. Some people don't like change, but change is good. One thing that will never change, seemingly, is the house that I'm living in. After having it on the market and then having to suffer lockdown and then lockdown easing and I don't know I shouldn't moan about this but I'm going to moan about this it's proper annoying so listen the the buyers they put in an offer we accepted it um, and then over a period of time they just kept on they kept on doing survey after survey after survey on the house house I currently live in in Worcestershire is 200 years old built in the 1820s maths fans and there are some really characteristically lovely things about it there's some decking right down the very long garden that sits over the canal and there are some things that are not so good about it like the walls are made out of horse hair because that's what they used to do in the 1820s with no regard to the effects of wi-fi connectivity that horse hair walls seem to have another thing that they were big fans of in the 1820s was a cellar and um, in the 200 years this house has been around it has never been lined and over a course of a million surveys the buyers just kept on reducing the price reducing the price reducing the price they finally wanted the cellar lined for ten thousand pounds we got to a point where they'd reduced the price by so much i was gonna have to give them money for moving into my house and buying it off me. Um, so I rejected their final um, offer and they pulled out. So I then went back to them and begrudgingly came up with a deal when it was covered. And they still pulled out. And we were literally at a point of 
talking about exchanging contracts and moving in and swapping keys with the sellers. And now the sellers are moving out because the chain is broken. And um, we're just going to stay here because the, the stress of moving house doesn't seem worth it. The guy, though, if you listen to the Bashcast, hello, bona fide arsehole, um, he knocked on all of the neighbours' doors to tell them that um, he was going to park his motorbike at their house because it was a little bit more convenient. Why would you do that when you haven't even moved in? Why would you knock on neighbours' doors and all in, introduce yourself as troublesome muddling so it's probably best for everyone that it's all falling apart just puts the stress puts the stress on finding somewhere before the 31st of march thanks to rishi sunak's stamp duty holiday deal so it's not fun the whole house buying process as i've said to jen what we've got just got to do is make the right decision at every step of the process only worry about things that are in our control and look at the long-term EV. And the EV that Rishi Sunak has given us all with his stamp duty holiday, it's like, if you were ever considering moving house, now has got to be the time. So we'll get that sorted towards the end of the year as we embark upon a new season of football. How did that happen so quickly? Seriously, it feels like the summer break was only about 15 minutes ago. But anyway, um, one of the things that we've... I, look, I very rarely um, use this platform to advertise or publicise bookie bashing. It's mostly just the ramblings of me, and I use it to help kind of um, organise and structure the thought processes that I go through. I find it extremely useful, and if anyone else gets any use out of it, then all the better. It doesn't matter if anyone doesn't. But what I never really do, after 162 episodes, I don't use this platform as a advertising medium for bookiebashing.net. We don't really do any advertising on bookiebashing.net. If you want to come along, be part of the community, that's great. If you don't, that's also great. No hard feelings. Listen to the Bashcast, it's free. Anyone can listen to it. But one of the things that we've done lately is pretty cool. It's essentially adding a load of suites of tools. Suites of tools? A suite of tools um, for processing live information more efficiently. Right. So one of the continuing themes around an edge or an angle that we have at Bookie Bashing, or that I use, is that... Price movement is key to finding an edge, finding an angle, be it team news, be it smart money, be it whatever. It's like when prices move, good things happen. When prices are static, you generally can't find um, an edge or an angle anywhere. This microphone is very quiet. Why is it quiet? I don't know. Oh, well, I'm not shouting this week anyway. So all these tools that we have essentially... I used to sort of do in a semi-automated manual fashion, and I'm not the world's greatest IT expert. I am the world's greatest Excel expert. I drilled a career out of using Excel, but not really so much websites or Python or JavaScript or interrogating Betfair APIs or any of these things that would actually end up being extremely useful to me. Um, so we've got some help 
with a few tools. The first one that we've got, we've put up what we've called an exchange data lab. So let's say there's been some team news and a striker's been rested uh, or there's been a lot of movement around a number of teams in the premiership or championship. Um, what is more useful than sitting and looking at a single market is looking at a group of markets at exactly the same time. Um, and what this Exchange Data Lab does is it allows you to go into Betfair via this tool, so you don't actually have to go into Betfair at all, and just ask for information uh, on a group of markets at exactly the same time, and it's returned, and you can copy it and paste it into your spreadsheet or your notepad or anywhere that would be useful for your own analyses. And so I can go on and I can say, right, okay, for every game in the Champions League, get me the match odds, both teams to score, uh, over one, over two, over 3.5 goals, get me first goal scorer, half-time, half-time score, penalties, sendings off. These are generally the markets that I ask for. But get them all for me at exactly the same time for all the matches. And I want um, the lay price or the back price, or if I want to, my most popular button that I use is the minimum of the lay and the last traded price. This will generally return the last traded price as long as the last traded price is still within the existing back of the lay. Because what could happen is the price could trade at 2.0 and then everything shifts for some reason to the back of 2.5, lay of 2.7. Well, that trade of 2.0 is no longer appropriate. So that's like a mass market tool that can just download information from the exchange. And if you've got sort of two sets of information as well uh, from different time periods, well, that will allow us now to make a delta, see where the price is going, see where the price is moving, and get a sort of large scale trading information very quickly. That's the first one. Sitting next to that, we've got the live daily goals uh, page. Um, I was talking to Duncan about how does he remember like four or five years ago where if we wanted to know um, how many goals were going to be in a game, in every game in Division 1, we'd be opening up every single game on the spread and writing them down with a pen and paper. And well, now we have this calculator, which is live. Uh, it has a hierarchy um priority order that is used to determine what the over 2.5 price is and that's last price match as long as it's within the existing backer lay if not the lay price if not the price set by bookie bashing admin uh, and if that's not available then none is available and it uses the live 2.5 price there from the exchange or from bookie bashing admin to convert that into xg a lot of people don't like XG, but it is. It's what it is. Expected goals for the match, for halftime, for the second half, and for any minute split. That minute split is based on a worldwide analysis of 100,000 games between 2010 and 2020. So we can get all of that information, group it into a single league, or have every single individual match. Again, just with a touch of a button, we can copy that to CSV. I mean, that used to take me ages to work out when I wanted to work that out for a big market, and now it's a single click. Um, the third of four tools that we have at the moment, detailed games. So this is data 
like the daily goals, but just more data. We're talking here corners, cards, means for these things. And um, this isn't for every game, but each morning the bookie bashing admin will sort of define the games of the day from the daily goal page that are primary games that are going to have extra detail. And we've got some algorithms in place that make sure that everything adds up. So if you add up the first half and the second half XG, it does come to the match XG. That's not the same as elsewhere. If you look on the spreads and you add up the first and the second half medium points, it doesn't necessarily make the match XG. Same for corners, same for cards. So a little bit of maths going on in the background. It's sort of the best estimate. And this is live. This is live as well. Um, we convert booking points into cards. If you need to know by using minus 0.005 times booking points plus 0.0987, which is just a coefficient that is used to convert booking points into cards that we came up with over a long-term regression analysis. And that will turn... Um, that will turn booking points into cards under the William Hill rules because, of course, bookmakers can't agree on a single set of rules for the definition of the assignment of yellow cards and red cards. A yellow card could be... Well, it's always one card, but a straight red could be one card or a straight red could be two cards, depending on where you're looking. It just has to be like that, doesn't it? And then the fourth tool that we have on top of all of that um, we now have the combination bets calculator up, um, which can take any of the matches that are um, that are on the daily goals page or any liquid on Betfair and do some calculations on the goals in that. So we can say over four goals in Manchester United versus Reading or over 15 goals in all the matches in the English Premier League, over 20 goals in the Premier League in the 8pm championship games. And um, also any games that are in the detailed games page. It'll do your calculation not just on goals, but corners and cards as well. So over two goals and over 10 corners in Man United Reading, or over two goals and over 10 corners in all the EPL games, or over three cards in the second half of all La Liga games. This calculator has been a long time in the making because it does some pretty funky stuff. Uh, it pre-populates all the live expected means for goals, corners, and cards by period, so you don't need to go and work that out yourself. Um it considers exclusivity variables between the components that relate to each other. So, I mean, here we're talking about both teams to have five plus corners. Well, here you have to take into account the fact that if one team has five plus corners, they're taking a lot of possession and territory away from their opposition. And the fact that they've done that means that the pre-kickoff estimations for the mean of the opposition's corners has changed. There's been a tangible effect on it and so you can't simply multiply the odds of the home team getting five plus corners by the away team getting five plus corners and come up with a product that is the odds of both teams to get five plus corners it doesn't work like that there needs to be these kind of um exclusivity variables taken into account it also considers the complications of clustering in corners so this is where if you, you know you could have an expected and um, mean of 10 corners in the game but when one corner is triggered the odds of the next corner isn't the same as that first corner occurring because of the improved field position of that team once you've got a corner it's much more likely you're going to get another corner than for example from a set piece where the goalkeeper is just taking a goal kick or a throw in 
in the wrong end of the pitch. And that really has no bearing on the probability or likelihood of a corner. Clustering doesn't need to um, be taken into consideration there. So we've got this new calculator up. We've got those tools. The calculator, by the way, it's in the early stage of development. We're trying to iron out the bugs. Amazingly, haven't really actually found any bugs so far, but I expect them to come around. It doesn't replace um, an, um, reality checking through an assessment of common sense because a lot of different things can go wrong. It has to sort of go and grab input data and put it in. Um, you got to make sure that input data is right. Uh, if, if that's wrong, if the input data is wrong, this is often a problem with the calculator. It's not the algorithms of the calculator. It's the data that goes in. If that's wrong, then the data that comes out is wrong. Whilst we've automated a lot of that, it's definitely worth checking it. Those tools being in place for the beginning of the season um, uh, really speed up at least my life in terms of data analysis. And if I can go and grab very quickly all the different markets from the daily goals, from the first goal scorer, and quickly run that through my own spreadsheets, my own analytics... Um, if I've got the calculator up on site that can form to quickly pre-populate itself with live means and things like that, then nothing's changing. Like my, In terms of what I'm doing, it's not changing. It's just speeding up really quickly. And by speeding up, we make ourselves more efficient and we can churn over more volume. We can look at more markets and... We can be a little bit more efficient. And by doing that, we have more chance of finding a lot of value. So if you are a member, why not? And you haven't had a look at it. I think it's definitely worthwhile going over to those pages, copying the data into your spreadsheets and seeing what you can make of them. And if you're not, this wasn't a sales pitch. It was more, uh, I'm pretty happy with all of this. It looks pretty exciting. Um, so I'm itching to get cracking into a new season to start using these tools. One other thing that we have uh, sort of taken a decision on is for a long time, especially the first two, three, four years of bookie bashing, what I would do is I would pre present a load of bets and then I would sort of present a graph of my personal profits or something that represented my personal profits if we normalized the staking to a standard staking or something like that. Um, but because I always used the argument that uh, the strategy is all, the only important thing. And it is kind of true. If the strategy is right, don't worry about the profits because especially in the short term, you're going to experience volatility, variance, this, that, and the other. So let's just trust the strategy and bet long term. The only problem with that is that you can't expect everyone to trust the strategy, especially if you're the one that's come up with the mathematics and not everyone's going to be as mathematically inclined as yourself. You say, trust the maths, and they'll say, I don't trust the maths. I trust historical numbers. And some people will trust, you know, you could walk up to someone and say, I, I have eight winners in the last 10 horses and... There are people in this world that will think, "Oh my gosh, you've got an edge." I'm going if you, I'm going to bet on the next horse that you say, with absolutely no understanding of how lucky or what odds or any kind of variance that that would that would be involved in whether that person would be turning a profit or not. Um, you know, 
if they were just completely and utterly lucky and throwing darts at the dartboard, would there be any more or less profit, is the question. But there is definite benefit also in detailed tracking of different categories of bets so that you can sort of drill down and go, you know what, shots on target, had 100 shots on target bets, and I've only had five winners, and statistically, that's about equivalent of winning the lottery if we're meant to be at 105% ROI. So the question is, are we actually working out the value correctly on this or is something going wrong? So it's that kind of interrogation. So there's a lot of information that goes onto the tracker and I'm now recording every single one. Not anything benchmarked against the exchange, basically ARBs. I mean, in all honesty, we should all know that betting on odds higher than the exchange will higher than sort of the lay price available in the exchange is that is simply going to be a long-term positive expected strategy we don't need to defend it we don't need to record it we don't need to interrogate it um and if we don't sort of understand that that's a really easy equation that we can live our lives by and just do that with our eyes closed you know the big treble comes up and it's 10 to 1 at the bookmaker and 7 to 1 um on the exchange if you multiply the three teams together it just is it just is a long-term strategy and if you're turning around and say you've never made money do on that then you haven't placed enough bets the only thing that will be wrong will be volume that's the only thing that's wrong that and your understanding of how long-term advantage play long-term variance works because you're expecting to turn a profit in not a large enough sample size so if you're moaning that you've been placing bets, the odds have been higher than the lay price in the exchange, but you haven't turned a profit, I'd, the, the only thing that has gone wrong is volume. I don't know how many bets you've placed, but I'm telling you now, you haven't placed enough. You're not looking at a large enough sample size. Go away. Go away and come back to me when your sample size is 1,000 bets if you're betting at less than um, 5 to 1, 2,000 bets if you're betting above... 5 to 1 up to 10 to 1. If you're betting at 20 to 1, maybe 5,000 bets. I don't know. There's a variance calculator on the site. Go and have a look at it. But don't moan that it's not working because it's not It's not the method. It's betting at a price higher than the lay price in the exchange isn't something that's up for debate that is a long-term plus EV strategy. It just is. If you can't accept it, you're, genuinely, you're in the wrong game. But what I am tracking is the al what we label as alpha, beta, and delta bets. Uh, what's the difference? Um, alpha, kind of like alpha are new calculations. We haven't been able to benchmark them for one reason or another. Probably the, there isn't enough data to benchmark things um, with like the calculation that we have with expected shots on target. The, the, the methodology, the process, the calculation is all on the site. It's sound, it's logical, there just simply hasn't been enough data going back to sort of backwards benchmark this strategy. It's very difficult to get hold of large-scale player shots on target strategy. And there hasn't been enough results to turn around and say, well, historically, they've been good or they've been bad. So for that reason, they're alpha. When, the ha when there is enough data uh, and there is enough confidence, uh, those bets will shift from an alpha to a delta. These are still bets that are calculated by us, the delta bets. We just now have benchmarked them, have accepted them. There's sort of not much debate that they're that they're right. And the beta bets, those are bets that are in either in a secondary sort of middle area of testing. 
and also there are bets that are benchmarked against bookmakers um markets which is a little bit of cheating but it's like you know Azarenka to win the first set 6263 we can create an imaginary market of top prices across the the first set score work out what the market markup would be on that make a decision of to apply it using bias or not bias and then sort of reverse engineer the bookmakers to figure out what the starting probability was. Um, and those are beta bets. So on the 18th of January 2020, somebody on the forum asked the question, has anybody actually made money out of the RABs, out of the requester bets? And me just saying, look, we're betting it. We're putting these combinations together. We're betting it. XG, that's prices that are higher than the exchange or corners that are higher than the spreads or, you know, me just saying that isn't good enough. We should be tracking them in detail. And so I've tracked since the 18th of January 2020, 2,973 bets up until the 10th of September 2020. And that includes three, three to four months of lockdown where there wasn't a single one of these bets on the site. So what is that? It's like eight months minus maybe three months. Sort of four to five months worth of, of tracker bets. There are 2,973 alpha, beta, delta bets on the site. So that's about 600 bets a month, 20 bets a day kind of thing. It's a lot, right? Feels like a lot. Uh, it's, it's at the point with an average odds of 8.29. 3,000 bets is about the point where sample size is becoming relevant. Over those 3,000 bets, if we haven't turned a profit, we're probably doing something wrong with the methodology. You don't place 2,973 bets at average odds of 8.29 and make a loss very often. In fact, there's a variance calculator that I could go and work that out. Let's bring that up. Right, okay. So... Various calculations. This is available on the site as well. So you can plug this in. Um, the average odds have been 8.29. The average EV, which is the back price divided by, uh, divided by the fair price, is 108.12%. Number of bets, 2,973. And what we see after that, um, there is about a 1.59% chance that we would have been in the negative there. So 98. 5% of the time, we would be turning a profit. We've actually turned a profit of £25,110.35 up until 5.10pm on the 10th of September 2020. So that is um, staking to win £200 liability on each bet. So if the odds are 4 to 1, that's £50 to win your £200 liability. doesn't matter if it's 100.1% EV or 299% EV. This is staking to win £200. Why do it like that? Well, one, it's consistent with what we've always done. Uh, secondly, people are big advocates of Kelly. It's not up to me to tell them that I think they're wrong, but I've never liked Kelly as a staking mechanism because it implies that to know the EV, you know the uh, fair odds percentage or the fair odds very accurately and we never do they're always just estimations and there's always one thing missing in the static fair odds and that's the delta it's the price movement and i've always said i would all i would generally bet on something that is 
improved in price from 92% to 98% EV over something that had dropped in price 110% to 102% EV. Looking at the static prices, you'd always people would say, well, 102% EV has to be better than 98% EV. But I don't believe that it is. The Delta price movement contains a lot of information on it. It's the whole concept behind coupons and why I bet on coupons that are below 100%. Because it's the price movement. Um, and I don't believe we ever really know what the accurate fair odds are. We can do our best guess on estimations and benchmark against exchange and bloody blahs and hoody hoos. But we don't really know. And... Kelly really assumes that we're, it just wants us to maximize bets that are large EV. Generally, though, I think of things more simple. I, if I like the bet, I bet X. If I really like the bet, I bet 1.5X. And if I've never seen a bet like it in my entire life, which generally happens once a week, um, I'll bet 2X, right? And the X is liability staking. So if it's, uh, again, going back to the £200 liability, a sum that we've always used on the site, um, £50 at 4 to 1, £100 at 2 to 1, £200 at even, £20 at 10 to 1, right? So betting £200 liability flat on everything at 100.1 and above would have returned £25,110.35. Nobody has bet on all 2,973 bets. Why? Uh, a lot of them are multiple bets in the same game. So you'll have um, Paddy Power, who will be doing these what odds, and they'll say um, over three goals, over four cards, over five corners, and it's good. The problem is when it's good, so is the rest of those bets, over five goals, over six cards, over seven corners, over three goals, over eight cards, so blah, blah. They're all good at the same time. So you're like, oh, so are we cheating? Because that means that when there is a serious amount of goals, corners and cards in the game, they all win. Yeah, that is. If you want to also forget about the fact that when it finishes nil-nil, they all lose. So it works both ways. And it's actually very common for all of the bets to lose and you get hammered. Or just one of the bets to win, like over three goals, over three cards, over five cards. That'll win and the rest of them will lose. So despite the fact that we had a winner, we're negative on the match. So it goes both ways. No one really is going to bet on every single one of them in the single match. I don't. I've cherry-picked the ones that I like. Um, and also, I put a lot up just before kickoffs. I try not to put them up too close to kickoffs. I try and have a cut-off line of about 15 minutes before. But again, you're not going to be sat there 15 minutes before every match getting the late ones that have been put up. Um, but that, that misses the point entirely. The point is... They're over 2,973 bets, even with a number of bets that are all on the same game. At some point, we should have stopped making money and variance should be flat, uh, flattening out. And it isn't. In fact, if we look at the amount of um, profit divided by the amount staked, it's 111.35%. That's how much profit divided by how much staked we've made. 111%. Very close to the average of 108%, which is the EV. Um, the longest losing run in that chart was about 500 bets just after lockdown. We were seeing very few corners, very few shots on goal, very few goals. Um, shots on target were at a five-game season, five-game run season-long low after lockdown. Um, the players they were just not very sharp, uh, and that was the longest sort of losing run that we had and I felt sorry for anyone that started up 
you know, started with us in lockdown when there wasn't much going on. And then when we came out of lockdown, that long losing run was their first experience. It was the worst one that we had. In terms of the the chart, we went from probably 8,000 down to three and a half thousand pound profit before turning it around. And now we're up at 25,000 pound profit. But I was talking to someone about that. And again, it's like, I know it sucks. I know it's like 500 bets, but it's 500 bets that are, you know, five or 10 bets in a game. So you have to consider that in your sample size. And even then, 500 bets, it's not a lot. It sounds a lot, but it's not a lot. So just stick with it. So I know nobody's bet on all 2,973 bets, but it's just the concept. It's the it's the fact that over those 2,973 bets, we haven't just turned a profit, but we've turned a profit um, which is very close to the EV. Um, and on the variance calculator, um, the return of investment here being il- sort of 11.3%. That slap bang in the middle of the variance chart. Okay, not maybe not exactly in the middle, but sixty point six percent of the time, six zero point six percent of the time, we'll have made one hundred eleven point three five percent with profit divided by amount of money staked. So you know, sixty percent, almost in the middle of the variance chart of fifty percent. So. That's just being tracked on the site. I'm quite pleased with how that's going. Uh, and I hope it will continue for some time in sort of the same direction. So the last thing that we've got going on, and I want to just, just bring this up because uh, I also wanted to discuss the results on it, is I'm going to start doing a little bit more analyses on the dots because the data is there. Uh, it's just a question of getting round to it each morning. So we had, I don't know, was it five consecutive days of the Premier League of Darts? Something like that. Um, and then there was a short break and then another five, perhaps it was four consecutive days of the Premier League of Darts. And what happens when you have consecutive nights like this? It really sharpens the mind in terms of what it is that you want to track um, and what you want to model. And one thing that we've done for a while is looking at the number of 180s in the session. Um, We've got a mean for the 180s for every player, and we can just add that up uh, and then say, okay, over over 33 180s in the session, we've got a mean of 32.2. We're just going to use a bit of Poisson and go over that and come up with fair odds. But if we're working out the mean 180s for every player in the match, then we can also, I realised, compare that mean to the other fella and see who will have the most 180s just out of the two of them, not just everybody in the session. Um, So the model that we have assumes that each player can get between 0 and 2180s. I don't think 2180s is possible. Um, what what's the maximum number of 180s that could be in a match? Imagine they both got nine darters all the way through to seven all. You Nine darters is two 180s, right? So player A gets two 180s, player B gets two 180s, player A gets two 180s, and you go all the way to seven all. I think both players have got 14 180s 
I'm not sure it's possible to get more than 14. So really, um, um, although to be fair, the odds of them getting 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 180s are in the billions anyway. But actually, I think now that I'm talking this out loud, I should taper that off to zero for 15 and above. But we've got the odds of one player getting 180s, the odds of another player getting 180s. We can work out the odds of each of them getting zero to 20. Um, and then just multiply those together uh, and add up how many times all the probabilities of one player having the most and the, all the probabilities of the other player having the most. Uh, and then you realize that there is quite a lot of, if that's correct, that number, there's quite a lot of value around. Why is there quite a lot of value around? It's actually bizarre. In a three-horse race, if you look at odds checker, you can have one bookmaker priced up in player A at 2.1 and another bookmaker priced up at 3.5 at the beginning of the day. And as the day goes on, they do get closer together, but they start off very far apart. One of the reasons, I think, is because the exchange markets are so quiet for most 180s in the match that there isn't any reason for them to be shaped by arbitrage or anything like that, and so the bookmakers just tend to leave them alone. And when I saw that, and I saw the wide breadth that we had, the scope of opinion, I'm like, there has to be an angle here. So we started putting up not just most 180s in the session, or number of 180s in the session, but most 180s in each match. And then as part of that as well, uh, most 180s in the session. So there you're just taking one guy and you're saying, you know, okay, the odds of him getting more than 10 180s is... X, Y, Z, but what is the probability of someone getting more than that? And we add all of those up and we get most 180s in the session. We've had, to summarize all of that, 5-0, exactly. 50 bets on the tracker, um, this post-lockdown Premier League um, session. Uh, of those 50 bets, uh, we have had... I'm going to have to count them, sorry. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. 20 winners, 1 dead heat, and 29 losers. That sucks, doesn't it? 29 losers, uh, 20 winners, and 1 dead heat. It doesn't suck, no, because the average odds are 4.9. They're not at evens. Uh, and for that reason, staking to win £200 liability, we've made £4,543. And 68 pence, just looking at 180s. Um, there are only 50 bets there. So that is not a definitive proof of a strategy working. But it's not definitive proof of a strategy not working either. What I can tell you is for the single reason of the bookmakers having a breadth of opinion, having different numbers, different bookmakers, and often quite wide at the beginning of the day, also having quite illiquid or empty exchange markets, all works in our favour to be able to model the darts and to be able to find some edges there as long as we've got our own numbers to run with. Uh, it was the Champions League final on my my mother's birthday, Sunday the 23rd of August 2020. What were you doing? I was having a barbecue at my mum's house, personally. Um, so how much money did I make on this? Uh, nothing. Um, and that's because it was the Champions League final. This is a common theme, right? The higher profile the game, the more stress there is for the players, 
uh, the more that the bookies are pushing out garbage. In all honesty, games like this, Paris Saint-Germain versus Bayern Munich, the Champions League final, they don't throw up value opportunities. They really don't. Um, it, it It's the same as a premiership game on a Sunday. You've got the big premiership game, 4.30pm, Manchester United versus Manchester City. Trust me, that's not the game that you should be looking at to find value. Um, there's loads of people like, oh, the big Sunday game, where's the money? It's nowhere because there's a thousand trillion shops who are shaping every single market into an inch of its existence. And by the time that you found an edge, you are last in the queue, buddy boy. Um, but literally on the 23rd of August, which is now, incidentally, it's like three weeks ago. It's like a distant memory, mostly because I'd had too many burgers at my mum's barbecue. But on that day... Um, I can see from my records that we had St. Johnston versus Hibernian, and the only value better recorded there was a header to be scored in the game. Nîmes Olympique versus Brest in the traditionally low-scoring Ligue 1 in France. And um, obviously Paris Saint-Germain versus Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. Now, of those games, where do you think I made money? It certainly wasn't in the Champions League final. It was actually in Nîmes versus Brest, where um, we had at Skybet a load of rabs, like over 1.5 goals, 8 corners, and 40 match betting points, and 9 to 4 came in, um, 4 corners each team, and 20 booking points each team at 5 to 1 came in, over 1 goal, 3 corners each, 30 match booking points came in, um, all different kind of variety of bets came in. Uh, on Skybet requester bets. Found a lot of value also in the Paddy, what's up Paddies, although they didn't come in, although not so surprising as they were over 20 to 1. Um, so this is the thing about this. It's like the value was all at Nimes versus Olympique in League One and Skybet. Wasn't so much on the Champions League final. There was a tiny amount of value, and it was almost all in shots on target. Um, we had Angle did Maria to have three or more shots on target, Neymar and Lewandowski to have two or more shots on target, three goals, and Lewandowski and Neymar to have two shots on target and Bayern to win, Neymar and Muller to have two shots on target, there to be four corners each and 60 match booking points. All of these. Were value, and I think as the season's going to progress, these shots and target bets are going to be value in the big Sunday games. So, how does this game transpire? Well, you usually get a lot of money coming in for the under the day before of these big finals. You got the Champions League final, the League Cup final, the FA Cup final, and what happens is that sharp money comes in the day before and says, "Ha, you guys, you're overestimating things to happen." If you look historically, the players get nervous. Things don't generally tend to happen in big finals. You don't get a lot of goals. You don't get a lot of shots on target. You don't get a lot of corners. You don't get a lot of action. And the sharp money hits the unders and that shapes the market the day before the morning of the final. Didn't happen in this game. You didn't have a big movement or a big segment of money. In fact, it was almost the opposite. The overs got hit. Um, so over things to happen got hit in the night before. And what happened in the game? Paris Saint-Germain nil. Bayern Munich won. You had Coman scoring in the 59th minute of the second half, and that was it. So under 1.5 minutes hit. 
um, under 1.5 goals hit. What about the shots on target? Uh, Marquinhos got one for Paris Saint-Germain, as did Neymar and Mbappe, and that was it uh, for Bayern Munich. Just two players had a shot on target, Lewandowski and, of course, the goal scorer Conan. So that's it, five shots on target in the entire game, which is well under the average of a football match. Uh, and nobody got more than one, and yet all the bookmakers were boosting Angel de Maria, three shots on target, this guy two, this guy three, this guy two, everybody two. Nobody got more than one. Um, They know what they're doing, the bookies, with these boosts. They are the boosting action to happen. They themselves are not unsharp, if that makes sense. Right, double negative there. They know what they're doing. They're boosting stuff to happen. And it didn't happen in the Champions League final. And even though the sharp money didn't come in to suggest that it wasn't going to happen, everyone knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, I avoided it in total. Uh, I hope you did. If you didn't, next time you've got a choice between Bayern Munich and PSG in the Champions League final and Nimes versus Brest in League One. Focus your attention on Nimes versus Brest on League One because that is definitely the area where the value is more likely to be. There isn't sharp money shaping it to with an inch of its life. Um, and uh, the, you know, it's where the fun lies. Listen, that's enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast and it is brought to you by Bucky Bashing.
and welcome back to the Vashcast. That's Eye of the Storm by Hot Since 82. Released 2020. It's a class act, Hot Since 82. It's a class song. In the bookie bashing news... The largest ever No Limit Hold'em cash hand has been played online somewhat extraordinarily since the um, old days of the, the glory days of poker are well behind us. So follow me through this hand, poker fan. See if you would have done exactly the same thing. It was a cash game with a $1,000 ante. That means to sit down in this game, you have to pay a $1,000 ante in every single hand. And when you are in the small blind, you have to pay $500. And when you're in the big blind, you have to pay $1,000. Victor Malinowski... Um, under the online moniker Limitless was playing with Michael Adamo. Um, and these two guys played, well, they played the largest on- online poker hand of all time. But let's run this down because I'm not saying it's idiotic and I'm not saying these people have too much money to burn. But what I am saying is that it's idiotic and these people have too much money to burn. Sometimes you just wonder how people can be in a position to make decisions worth this amount of money. Um, it's unbelievable. It really is. Like the the serious high stakes poker um, universe isn't really about who is the best poker game in, poker player in the entire world. You have these German wonder kids like Fader Holtz and things like that who mathematical whiz kids, they get to a certain level. Do you think that they would be invited into mega high states Macau games with the Chinese businessmen? No, they're not going to be because they're they're obviously too clever and are going to win. They're too clever for their own good. And this is a metagame problem, both with sports betting and with poker, was that if you appear like you're going to be the guy walking away with the money, no one's going to give you any action, right? So there's a little bit of metagame in sports betting where we have to bet on the requester bets just to show the bookmaker that we're apparently giving something back the bookmaker doesn't need to know, that the requester bets are in our favour. And there's a little bit of poker where if you're clever and you're good at poker, you need to show that you're giving something back. And either these guys are playing some sort of triple meta game or being incredibly dumb that I don't get. Or, well, listen to this. This is how, this is how the hand ran down. Um, the small blind of $500 was posted. Adamo was the big blind with $1,000. Malinowski raised to $2,000 from the cutoff. Adamo three bet to $14,000. Malinowski four bet to $43,500. Adamo five bet to $108,000. And Malinowski called to create a pot 
of already 200 big lines before the flop was ever seen. So here we go, guys. 500, 1,000 blinds. The last raise was to $108,000 in the guy calls. The flop comes down. The five of diamonds, the seven of hearts, the two of clubs. Name me a drier flop than that. You know what I mean? You have wet flops. Wet flops are jack, queen, king. Someone's got ace, king. They could have a straight. If you're holding aces and it's been raised a lot and then the flop comes down, jack, queen, king, or 10 jack, queen, or 9 10 jack, something like that, you have to be worried that your single pair ain't going to be good against the combination draws of the straights. Simple mathematics, right? If there are a couple of hearts on board, a couple of clubs, a couple of spades, you, you, you're in danger of running into the flush. What if it's 8, 9, 10 and there's two hearts on board? You're in danger of running into hearts and straights. I mean, all these things come into play when you're playing big hands. Now, on this board, it's a dry board. The five of diamonds, the seven of hearts, the two clubs. No matter how much you're raising pre-flop, you know that no one's really hit that. No one's raising the three of clubs or four of clubs or whatever. So the flop comes down, 572. Adamo bets $71,775. Malinowski calls on the nine of clubs turn. Adamo bets $100,146.50. And once again, the Polish high roller called in position on the river was five of spades. So here we go. Five of diamonds, seven of hearts, two of clubs, nine of clubs, five of spades. No flush draws. Anything that hits the five, any small set that hits it. Other than that, if you've got an overpair, you should be okay. Adamo shoved his remaining $140,547.80 into the middle. And Malinowski called off the shot. Adamo showed King King for a pair of kings and Malinowski showed him Ace Ace for a pair of aces to claim the gigantic pot of $842,438.62. Gentlemen, there's a spare seat in the club at my house. You are welcome to come there any single day. What the Jesus F. Christ are you doing shoving a million dollars into a flop of five, seven, two, nine, five? I'll call you a six, eight. I'll call you with a pair of sevens. I'll call you with a pair of twos. I'll call you with a pair of fives. I'll call you... The range that I have, I'll sit there all night and I'll wait for something where you'll call me down a million dollars with a pair of kings or a pair of aces. It's probably why I don't get invited to the Macau games. In the bookie bashing news again, listen, William Miller dickheads for the 99th time in a row. Uh, on We were talking about the Champions League final, weren't we? And on the on the day of the Champions League final, William Hill, they don't just have the great sports offers coupon up. They have printed coupons and on the sports offers extra. Um, they have, well, they always have 12 different bets, right? So you got A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and J, K, and L. And on this particular coupon, well... 
10 of 12 bets lost, 2-1. D won and G won. D was over one goal in each of Sunday's French League 1 matches at 7.5. And G was a goal in the first half in each of Sunday's French League 1 matches. Now, these two bets, they weren't outrageous, although they were patently positive expectation if you benchmark them. But it depends how you're benchmarking them. I mean, how do you benchmark over one goal in each of Sunday's French League One matches? French League One, traditionally a very low-scoring league. Again, a goal in the first half of each of Sunday's French League One matches. French League One, a very low-scoring league traditionally. Now, we did have the XG in front of us, so I'm not going to play the raw prawn here we did know that the 7.5 should have been around about 6.0 and the 25 to 1 should have been around about <clears throat> 6.2 but that's neither here nor there something had gone wrong with the printing of this coupon it was difficult to tell what it really was i was looking around at the games they all added up i was looking around at the coupon it all added up it's like Everything added up to make sense. It's like, I'm looking at this. I'm desperately trying to find the error that you're going to claim as an error, William Hill. Like, over one goal in each of Sunday's French League One matches, I'm looking right in front of me, and there are four matches. And there have never been more than four. There are exactly four. And... Over one goal in all four of those matches is definitely not 13 to 2. 13 to 2 is a value bet. So, what do I do? You know, I, I, could, I could go up to Mr. William and tell him that he's bollocked up his fucking coupon, but we don't do that, do we? We just bet on it and we see what happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the four games in particular that we're talking about were Monaco versus Reims, 2-0. Lorient versus Strasbourg, 3-1. Nimes versus Brest, 4-0. Nice versus Lons, 2-1. Those were the four games that were on this Sunday. Not only did they have over one goal in each, but they also had a goal in the first half of each. So the 13-2 comes in, the 25-1 comes in as well. The rest of the 10 of the 12 um, coupon bets do not come in. Hibs to score in both halves and take over two corners, over two goals in the Swedish Olds fence, Skin and Club Bruges to win in 20 minutes. Um, loads of Champions League bets, blah, 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 blah. They win all of those. The only two bets that do win are the French bets that are admittedly overpriced. We knew that at the time, but they were definitely overpriced. Not by much. Just by a little bit, you know. In terms of the probability, we're talking about the difference between 2% and 0.05%, which, you know, it's not, it's not a lot in terms of percent, in terms of probability. So, anyway, I don't know what mistake they made, but all of them came in. So there was over one goal in each of Sunday's French League One matches, which meant that off a D, Sunday over goals midday did win at 13-2. to two. And off a G, Sunday the first half midday 
did win a goal in the first half of each of Sunday's French League One matches. So, Bucky Bashers and my pals, I was on them. We all we all lost the Champions League bets, as the majority of mug punters do up and down the country. And we went to cash in our bets, and we were offered a payout of four to one instead of thirteen to two, and five to one instead of twenty five to one. This is a a seriously legitimate moral problem here. Yes, we we may have known that William Hill had fucked up. They had fucked up, but not everyone knows that they fucked up, and there is a massive problem with them ripping off punters up and down the country and keeping that money. Because do you know where that money goes? It goes to the shareholders. Do you think the shareholders are poor? Do you think so? What do you think that? What do you think William Hill shareholders do day in day out? Do you reckon they go down the food bank in Middlesbrough? Do you reckon they're worrying where the next meal is going to come from? Do you reckon the kids have got enough nappies? Or do you reckon the shareholders of William Hill are just okay and they will continue to be okay? Look, I'm no saint. I'm okay, but I'm not a shareholder of William Hill either. This is what pisses me off. There's a difference between corporate responsibility and personal responsibility. There really is. Okay? We can take these shysters. They have to live up to a better moral standard than we do. And they don't. They honestly don't. Uh, They take every penny from every single mug customer that went in and bet at 25 to 1 for goal in the first half of each of the Sunday's French League 1 matches. And they pay them out at 5 to 1 instead of 25 to 1. They take every penny of the difference between 5 to 1 and 25 to 1. And do you know what they do with it? They redistribute it between their shareholders. There's nothing wrong with being a shareholder of a company as long as the money that you receive is legitimately made. And this is not legitimately made. It really isn't. It's ripping off the fucking customers. So I'm in a privileged position. The money that I had staked on this bet is enough for me to care to take William Hill to court. And I I have done, and I will sue them. And in my time, I am a 100% record for suing bookmakers for not paying me out. I bet on X, they claim to want to pay out on Y, I sue them and I get my money. The reason being, I'm betting on bets and I'm tending to want to win £1,000 or more per bet. What if I'd had 50p on a goal in the first half in each of Sunday's French League 1 matches at 25-1? to Legitimately, there's a little box there that says shade this in if you want 50p on this bet. Well, I should have won £12.50. But William Hill will pay out at 5 to 1. So instead of £12.50, I win £2.50. How much of an arse am I going to give about taking William Hill to the small claims court for over a tenner? I'm not going to do it. And this is a massive problem. It really is a massive problem. And whilst group litigation isn't a thing in the UK where we all band together and sue a company for taking the royal piss out of us, I think there's going to be something in the future that if these bookmakers don't start bucking up their ideas, 
I, I'm taking evidence on exactly when they do pay out and when they don't. So every day, I'm logging. Of the 25 William Hill Great Sports offers, what do they pay out on and what don't they pay out on? What do they claim a pricing error on and what do they claim terms have been changed after the bet has been placed? Because it's not something that happens just now and again. It's something that happens, I feel, every single week. The only time it doesn't happen is the 25 times that the William Hill Great Sports Office do not win. Then you don't hear about anything. But other than that, a class action suit on behalf of the entire country to force William Hill to get in touch with every customer it's had in the last 10 years and pay them the f money that they owe them. Did the earth move fire and Did the earth move fire and Did the earth move fire and